And I think it helps that people like us are able to pick and choose what we talk about and how often we do it, right? Like I only do this podcast once a week. So if you're giving me this hour, I'm sure as hell going to make sure it's worth your time. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Brett and Jordi Micellis, two of the three founders of the Midas Touch Media Network and hosts of the Midas Touch podcast. They are also two of the other content creators who were included in a recent trip we all made to the White House to talk about and celebrate the signing of the Groundbreaking Inflation Reduction Act. Yes, you heard that right. The person who created a project called Politics Girl was just invited to the White House, which for me was a little like a Trekkie being invited to the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Absolutely thrilling. But we weren't there just to feel cool. We were there because the Biden administration is incredibly serious, not just about helping the American people with a bill that includes the biggest climate initiatives ever passed or the funding of the IRS to get the richest corporations and individuals to pay their taxes or the ability for the government to negotiate drug prices on behalf of the American people, but they are very serious about reaching the people where they are. This administration seems to truly recognize a growing majority of people no longer get their information from legacy media that if they want to connect to a more diverse group of citizens and reach a broader swath of Americans, they have to embrace new media because that's where the people are. I'm having Brett, the two-time Emmy award-winning video editor and digital media strategist, and Jordi, a marketing guru responsible for running campaigns and activations for some of the world's top brands like HBO, the NFL, and AT&T before they started Midas Touch, on the pod to discuss our recent visit to Washington, their take on new media, and our feelings on the Biden administration now that we have literally been behind the velvet rope. So without further ado, please welcome my guests, founders of the Midas Touch Media Network, co-hosts of the Midas Touch podcast, and great believers in democracy and the American experiment, Brett and Jordi Micellis. Welcome, guys. So great to be here. Thank you so much, Lee, for having us. I got to say, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I think I'm probably the most excited to be on this podcast out of any of them. I even got dressed up for you. you Oh, thank you. I'm the most excited. My heart is is pounding right now. I'm so stoked. Well, this is great because we've worked in partnership for almost two years with my podcast airing on your network and you guys sharing my rants, but DC was actually the first time we'd ever really met. I still can't believe that. And it was so great to meet. I mean, I feel like over these past couple of years, we've developed such an incredible friendship and I feel so close to you and your husband slash producer, Sean. I feel like I really have gotten to know you guys and what you guys stand for and just know you guys as people. And then you forget, oh my gosh, I haven't met them actually in person before in all this time. And we don't even live that far away from each other, but it took us to go all the way to DC across the country to be able to meet each other. And we'd had just the, the greatest time. Well, that's kind of how the online community functions, right? You can become really good friends with someone. You can collaborate for business. You can connect on so many different issues, but you can not know each other in real life. Like that is a real thing today. Especially during COVID when everybody was isolated and we started Midas Touch during COVID. So naturally our entire staff, everybody who we met, everybody is located in a different place. I still haven't met some people who we work very closely with on a daily basis. I know. (laughs) And Jordi, you live the farthest away from us. That's very true. And I feel like we've been friends for like since college. I don't know. Like just, it it feels like we've met before in person, but you know, it's like Brett said it. it, it Yeah, I know. I have to be like super young. I get to be young now. (laughs) 
Lee was in college a long time ago. But now listen, we were invited to the White House by the digital team. And to, we joined about 20, 25 other creators to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act um, before going to the official celebration for the bill. And the group was, like I was saying, primarily young TikTokers, right? I was definitely the oldest one there. And it was a collection of environmental activists and financial literacy people and social justice warriors and civil rights advocates. And then there was news and political people like us and V from Under the Desk News. I thought it was a really diverse group of people. And clearly the people in that room individually reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people each, but they all work from kind of a factually based point of view. So this wasn't your SNL sketch of Biden asking the guy who puts the plunger on his chest what he thinks we should do about Russia. These were serious people with serious reach. What did you guys think about the group? I left there just jaw-droppingly impressed by the intelligence in the room, by the poise of people in the room, by the diversity in the room, both in thought and in every other way imaginable. I mean, the people in that room were some of the most impressive individuals that I have really been around in a very long time. And it just made me very comforted for the future of our country. And I wish almost that everybody was able to see the discussions that were happening there because the questions that were being asked of the administration by the individuals in the room were some of the most high level, most intelligent questions that I've heard. I mean, we're used to watching those press briefings every day where we get like a, you know, a Peter Ducey question and you just want to, you know, put your palm on your head and go, how do they let these people in that briefing room? But every question here was just better than the next, very specific, very in the weeds, very wonky. And to the administration's credit, one by one, everybody handled the questions with poise, with intelligence, didn't try to BS people on the issues, just gave it straight to everybody and was also just so passionate also about the information that they were delivering. Yeah. The coolest thing for me too is like, we weren't expected to just carry water for the White House. Like they really just wanted to let us in on, on what was happening. They wanted to tell us the facts. They don't want us to be out there just, you know, spreading BS, you know, Biden propaganda because they know that's not what we do. They presented us the facts, which was what was going on with this administration. And then it's up to us and our creative devices to figure out, you know, how to how to sit with that and then how to spread it out to the wider audience. And they appreciated that and they appreciated our honesty and we appreciate their help, too. Yeah, I I really found that they weren't having us there just to be their puppets or their shills. There was no talking points they were asking us to give. And they were asking us questions as much as they were talking to us, which I thought was a fascinating approach because, you know, new media is tough and you've got a septuagenarian uh, president. There's really no reason he would know about any of us. And yet he really did. And he seemed very curious to as to how we reach people, which is really his goal, reaching people where they are. So for the people that don't know, the day went basically like this. Once we were COVID tested and we made it through two Secret Service checkpoints, we all gathered in a room in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, which is a beautiful building next door to the White House, where many of the staffers have their offices and a lot of day-to-day work of the government takes place. And once we'd all been accounted for and been given the rules, and there were understandably a lot of rules, then we walked a little bit like grade students on a school trip, right through the back hallways and the corridors to the Roosevelt Room in the West Wing of the White House. And we had to be quiet and we couldn't take pictures or record anything. It's a place of work and they were very serious about that. Now, the Roosevelt Room itself is one of those rooms in the White House you might have actually seen on TV. It was the room that President Biden and Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson were waiting in when the Senate voted on her ascension to the Supreme Court. We sat at this giant um, polished oak wood table surrounded by the flags of the military with their different battle pendants. There was pastoral oil paintings of Americana and a lot of different representations of Teddy Roosevelt and FDR. It was a really sophisticated, very old school room. 
but also where Roosevelt apparently used to keep his fish, which I thought was fascinating <laughs> that there was a time where that room was packed with aquariums until someone was like, yo, can we change this? And they did. So what were your thoughts on sitting in that beautiful old room filled with history? I would say just once you arrive in the room, both buildings, by the way, whether we're in the White House or the other building, you just really feel the gravity of it all. You kind of feel the pomp and circumstance of everything. And and it really hit me kind of where we were in that moment and, and the gravity of that moment. I, I just was very impressed by it. And, and it was a tiny room that we were in. And so, you know, I, we'll get into it. But as the various people from the administration came in, it was pretty surreal to kind of be up close and personal to the action like that. Yeah. And I think you said it, Brett, it, it felt surreal. Just being there on that day, um, the funny story that many people don't know, Brett and I haven't been home in like a month. So we're running on like zero hours of sleep. And so just kind of throughout the day, I was like, is this actually happening right now? Like, are we really here? It, it, it felt surreal to Brett's point. Yeah, but we were there for a purpose, right? And it was, we were there to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and all the wonderful things it'll do for the country. And I'm going to do a whole pod with someone from the administration about the act itself. So we won't dive too much into the details of the bill now, except to say that everyone who came in to talk about it, um, every staffer, every committee chair, even the chief of staffer on claim himself, were just so excited about it, right? About how much it was going to help the people, how it had the tools to help the planet, and now we could actually use those tools. They were so psyched about the oversight that they had written into the bill, so states can't just get the money and then do whatever they want with it. They wrote the bill specifically so we won't end up with another Jackson, Mississippi water crisis on our hands because racist leadership doesn't put the money where it's supposed to go or help the people it's supposed to help. As one of the negotiators of the bill said, you want the money, you have to do the right thing because they built oversight into the bill. And I thought that was a fascinating thing to learn about. All, all the people that were there were just so excited about this thing they had created and this thing they had got passed with literally no help from the other side of the aisle. Yeah, I mean, you felt the raw passion and energy in the room. And it was funny because as each speaker kind of finished and the next speaker began, they would always start going, I don't know how I'm going to follow that. And <laughs> I felt the same exact way. Like I almost felt bad for the next speaker who came up because I'm like, I don't know how you're going to follow that either. But everybody just delivered because they didn't make it about them at the end of the day, which I think is one of the, my big takeaways. It wasn't about, look what we accomplished. We're so amazing. Oh my gosh, aren't we the best? President Biden, rock star, high five. Like It wasn't like one of those sycophantic Trump meetings where it was just heaping praise and just disgusting and you want to vomit. It was just like, this is what this is what the bills do. These are the specifics of what the bills do. This is how it is going to tangibly help people. And they really, I really just got the sense that that's really all they wanted to do. They wanted to help people. And that's why they were excited about it. They weren't excited that they got a win for Democrats or a win for President Biden. At the end of the day, they were excited that they got a win for America and for people who really need it most. And, and that's what I really respected. Yeah. And they were also so grateful to the groups that had rallied behind the climate, you know, because this is a big climate bill, like all the people that hadn't given up, right? All the people that had put in the work over time. They must have thanked the staffers a hundred times in the speech we watched later, you know, thanks to all the staff that put in all the work. Both Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi um, thanked the congressional staffers so many times. They thanked the young people. They thanked the climate and the justice warriors that just wouldn't take no for an answer. No one was, as you said, no one was being showy or trying to take credit. Everyone was sharing in the success. And they were really proud of it as a win for the American people and, I guess, a loss for special interests. 
Yeah. And that's definitely how they positioned it. And I, you know, definitely that's how I saw it in, in speaking with them. I, I just left, you know, incredibly impressed. Like we were just in competent hands at the end of the day, yeah. everybody more yeah. than the next, which is very like intellectual, very academic in a very good way, just very focused on the details of everything. And you were in that room with me. Some of the questions that people were asking were not easy questions by by any means. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. How are they going to answer that? <laughs> but they answered one by one. They didn't shy away from everything. They didn't hide behind kind of slogans or phrases or anything. They answered the questions very specifically about, like to your point, what you said earlier, somebody asked them, how do you make sure that what happens here isn't what happened in Jackson, Mississippi? How do you, what, what are the guardrails here? And how, how do you ensure that this bill is actually getting to the people who need it. And they answered that question for us. And, and I just want to emphasize that point, Brett. They really stayed with us in that room. I mean, they were there 20, 30 minutes at a time, one by one, speaking to us, speaking with us, to us, not, not at us. And I think that's really what my big takeaway was. Like, this administration truly cares. Look, they'll be the first to admit, does this bill do everything? No. Can it do more? Yes. But do you need us there to ensure that we could put those systems in place so we could help the most amount of people? Absolutely. And so I, I just I loved and really appreciated the amount of time they sat with us in the room for. Yeah. And while we were listening to one of the staff members, whose energy, by the way, was so infectious, tell us about how she'd been working on these groundbreaking environmental protections and these Are you talking about Gina? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, is she not Gina. just adorable? She was so adorable. She's got this Boston accent. She was so passionate about the environment. She's like, I've been working on this for decades. I won't butcher a Boston accent. But she was like, just <laughs> joyful. I mean, contagiously joyful that things were finally going to get done and that they beaten the lobbyists and the special interest and they were going to deliver for the people. And, and as she's talking, the door at the opposite of the room where we were sitting opens up and President Biden literally tried to sneak in. Like he was sincerely <laughs> trying to not interrupt, which was hilarious because he was kind of doing this exaggerated sneaking walk, this kind of like, don't mind me, I'm not here, carry on, you know, energy, which was both endearing and also completely ineffective because the whole room basically collectively gasps when they realize who had just come yeah. in. And the person speaking was like, yeah, okay, I think I've lost them. Like, they're all looking at you now, which was hilarious. Did you guys know we would be meeting the president and the vice president? Because I did not. I had no idea. But I think I said to Jordy, like, almost as a joke, I wonder if Biden's going to be there. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. And But it just as a joke, you know, just as an aside. Um, but no, I, I had no idea. And when Biden, when President Biden came in, it was funny because he, he said to Gina McCarthy, the White House National Climate Advisor, he goes, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and she was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep going with you in the room. And he goes, no, keep going, keep going. And she probably did what? Another like one, two minutes and then turned it over to President Biden. Um, but it was just a very, uh, a very cool moment there. And like Jordy said, he sat with us for, for a very long time. Uh, you know, let Gina McCarthy finish everything that she was saying, which is very like respectful of everyone else's time. Like, like, like everybody in the administration who came to us, none of them made it about themselves. It was all about the group. It was all about the peer person who was speaking. And I, you know, I think that just says a lot about people's personalities and especially when you kind of compare it to previous administrations. Well, especially since we just left only I can fix it, you know. Ex exactly. It's, it's a bit of whiplash, honestly, when you're, when you're there in person and you're a witness 
to how things are being run. And when they're being run in that sort of selfless manner, you're like, oh my gosh, people actually are respectful in the White House. This is, this is crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was he sat down and talked to us. I mean, the thing that struck me was how normal it felt, that he had such a lack of pretense. It was just a man in a room with a bunch of people he had a sincere desire to connect with. And you can't fake that kind of genuine interest in people. Like mm-hmm. you said, it was a small room. It was a small group. And he talked to us. He asked us questions. He listened to people talk about their pet projects, whether it was about oceanography or criminal justice reform, this kind of thing. And he spoke to us about how important he believed modern messengers like us are to this new media landscape, that the world is different than it used to be. And he didn't want to just address that with policy. He wants to address that with messaging. He said he wants to meet people where they are, which I said in my introduction, but he realizes that that's not always going to be possible working from these old paradigms. Did you guys, what do you guys think of that? Reaching out to new media people because they realize that legacy media might not be what it used to be. Well, I think it's incredibly important and I think it's really smart of the White House. This is the first White House to actually have an office of digital outreach where they're doing these sorts of things. Every White House has traditionally had outreach to the traditional press, which gives the traditional mainstream press a huge advantage. And the traditional mainstream press still retains a huge advantage for a lot of reasons. There's a a, a press association who controls who's in the briefing rooms. There are resources that they are provided that no one else has provided. So what this White House seems to be doing is they are looking at the state of things and they are saying, okay, traditional media really isn't how people are consuming the news anymore. This really isn't how most of Americans are seeing things. In the past, even in the Obama administration, which wasn't that long ago, even in the past, you could, could rely on getting the message out at on the eight o'clock news, on the morning news, everybody would be tuned in. But now people are coming at it from such a fragmented point of view. There's TikTok, there's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's Telegram, I mean, you name it, it just it just spans all these various platforms. And so I think what they're trying to do is provide digital creators with the same resources, just kind of equal the playing field that they give the press. And so any bit that they do that, you know, helps creators like us to be able to do the work that we do. And so I thought it was, a, you know, I, I actually think it's a brilliant decision by them. And I hope that future White Houses continue to do these outreach programs just like this. Yeah. And Jordi, as someone who's younger than me by quite a lot, um, you must look at media differently than I did anyway, because like, I can literally remember my parents watching the seven o'clock news. You know, like that was it. You watched this person at a certain time and then you got the news or you read your paper and that was it. You didn't get news throughout the whole day, but you've probably grown up with constant media. How does it feel to you to be seeing this new administration doing their thing? Absolutely. No, for better or for worse. Um, I've been plugged in from day one. Like, as far as where I get my news from, my media content. I mean, I've lived on my phone ever since I was 12. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I, in fact, don't think it's a, a good thing. But for better or for worse, that's where people are getting their news from now. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on TikTok. They're listening to podcasts. Like Brett said, the media landscape is so fragmented that we can't rely any longer on the 7 o'clock news. Because that's just not how people consume media in 2022. So I thought what the White House did was just so smart. I think they were the, I think they are the first White House to really have a digital creators program. So to just embrace that and fully understand the importance of digital creators and how people are consuming media in 2022, I think it's incredibly vital for the future of, of this country. 
And Jordy, I mean, you just look at the landscape out there of kind of, you know, sometimes we view them as silly memes and things like that. When you look at something like a Dark Brandon, Dark Brandon didn't start from political strategists. It didn't start by MSNBC or CNN talking about it. It started on Twitter and it started on Facebook and it started on TikTok with people sharing these memes. And then it gets out there and then it actually ends up being a way of spreading a message in a kind of clever, funny way. Then it gets out to the so-called water coolers of people speaking mm -hmm. about it at work and things. And I find that a lot of things actually do start on these digital spaces and then kind of percolate out from there and then get into the real world. And so I think this White House is is realizing that and realizing that the old paradigms, the old ways of doing things just aren't effective anymore. And you also have this, this corporate run media right now that is just, I mean, you got to be honest, they're controlled by billionaire interests. It's just the nature of the business. And, you know, we here at Midas Touch, given our growth over the past few years, we've seen how money can corrupt things. And we've seen how, I'll give you an example of a story. When we started our Midas Touch Political Action Committee, early on, things were really catching on in a huge, huge, huge way. We had a lot of people coming to us who wanted to make videos for them. And then we had some people who wanted to make donations to the Midas Touch Political Action Committee. And so we had somebody who wanted to give us money that was not an unsubstantial sum of money that it would have been a, especially at that time, a pretty big game changer for us. But that money came with conditions. And as part of the conditions was, listen, I have Republican relatives. You cannot be calling Trump and his fellow Republicans fascist. You cannot be calling it autocracy. That's my one thing. You know, I will give you this money, but you cannot do that. And the easiest decision that we ever made on the planet was saying, thanks, but no thanks. We're, we're not, we're not going to do that. And so if we saw that at an early stage of our growth, I could only imagine how money corrupts and pollutes things on a corporate level when it's literally billions and billions and billions of dollars of investments and you're beholden to advertisers. It cannot it has to affect it when you're at that level. It just does. And so now we have an independent media that's thriving where people are hearing it from the sources themselves. We're getting incredible voices like you, Lee, who when we saw early on in the, in the process, we were like, this person is, is brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. We have to work with her. And so we're building just a collection of these voices who really can now rival, even though we don't have the same resources as the mainstream media, the playing field is now pretty level given digital technology. And we can now compete, can compete with the best of them. And we, being us, Midas Touch, you politics girl, and all these digital creators that were at this event are really having an outsized impact that people are taking notice of. I totally agree with that. And, and I think the White House is a perfect example of people who took notice of it. Now, this is a pretty good time to take a break to thank our sponsors who actually do make this show possible. And then we'll be right back after this with Brett and Jordi Micellis. Since we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and all the environmental successes it will bring to America, I think it's essential that we highlight our new sponsor, Aspiration Debit Card. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to big banks. It gives you an account and a debit card that has been specifically designed to help your wallet and the planet. When you keep your money in a standard bank, they lend your deposits to fund oil and coal. When you switch to Aspiration, you are switching to the planet side. Moving $1,000 to an Aspiration Plus account has the same impact as driving 6,000 miles less. Plus, you can earn up to 71 times as much interest than at your old bank. Aspiration is fossil fuel free and lets you plant a tree by rounding up on every swipe of your debit card. Aspiration's goal is to help people align their money with their values. 
funding the planting of over 1 million trees with the goal of planting over 1 billion trees by 2030. It's no wonder that Forbes, NerdWallet, and The Penny Hoarder all recommend aspiration for the eco-conscious. Best of all, there's no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with aspiration, you pay what you think is fair, even if that's nothing, because they believe that money shouldn't stand in the way of doing the right thing. So make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit and move your money out of fossil fuels. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit today. That's aspiration.com slash politicsgirldebit. Terms and conditions apply. Imagine having one extra day a week. I actually can't even imagine that. That would be so amazing. Well, with ClickUp, the productivity platform, they believe you will save one day a week on work guaranteed. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken. They believed there were too many tools to keep track of, too many things in separate ecosystems. They believed that there had to be a more productive way to get through your daily hustle. So they created ClickUp, the one tool to house all your tasks, projects, documents, goals, spreadsheets, and anything else you have. ClickUp is built for teams from one to over a thousand. It's packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has, so you can work the way you work best. Whether you're in project management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp has easy-to-use solutions that create a far more efficient work environment. So join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. To get started, use code POLITICSGIRL to save 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year. That means you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at clickup.com and use code POLITICSGIRL. It certainly seems worth checking out to me. Clickup.com, code POLITICSGIRL. And we're back with Brett and Jordi Micellis from Midas Touch. So as we were saying, legacy media, as we know, is dead. Basically, you got billionaires, like you said earlier, that are sort of equivocating what we can say these days. The New York Times is putting up these this language that will get them hits and clicks on social media. They act as apologists for the traitorous ex-president. Um, a lot of the other uh, papers are owned by corporate overlords or billionaires that tell us what ultimately suits their bottom line as opposed to what the news is. Most local newspapers are dead or kind of hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Reporters are more concerned with having access to power players than asking those hard-hitting questions that really need to be asked. We know Fox and its right-wing copycats are a disaster. Few people listen to the old big three anymore. MSNBC is still looking good to me, but what's happening right now with CNN is alarming. You know, they went from being one of the most trusted news sources in the nation to what I would say are shills for their new corporate overlord in what feels like a month. You know, journalists and anchors who many of us have trusted for years have done a complete 180 on their behavior and their talking points. And it starts to feel like we're in this sort of insane post-truth world that's alarming. And I can see how money is corrosive. And you're telling us the story about someone that said to you, hey, we'll give you money, but here's what you can and cannot say. And I understand if you are a, a journalist like Jake Tapper and you say, okay, I'm making whatever it is, million dollars a year, and I can't, I've got this house payment and this payment and my kids are in private school and I can't just be like, well, my morals except in some ways, don't you have to, question mark. You know what I mean? And I think that leaves room for people like us, people who have reach, but also pure intentions. Um, I'm assuming that's why you guys started your network in the first place. 
Yeah, the truth is we kind of saw this coming and we couldn't have imagined that it would be this in your face. I know, uh, this avalanche, right? It's like so fast. You're like, oh my God. Like we, I think we made a joke the other day, like, are they trying to help us out and prove our thesis? Like is somebody, (laughs) like I don't under, I don't understand, but there's a reason why the Midas Touch Media Network is thriving the way it is. There's a reason why every single week we are adding on about 30,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel and everything is just growing because people are sick and tired of the legacy media. And you have this landscape right now where you have all the way on the right, like as far, far, far as you could go, you have just straight up propaganda networks, not even a sliver of the truth, like not even anything that resembles the truth. No, it's the gay frogs network. Yeah. 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 And, And Fox is that too, by the way, like Fox kind of because it's been around for a while, people are like, oh, well, OAN and Newsmax, those are the real crazy ones. Right. Fox is arguably much more dangerous than than they are. I mean, they have a much bigger reach. I'd argue more and they dangerous, are saying yeah. this. Yeah, and they are saying things that are just as, if not more crazy than those networks. And then on the other side, you have a network like CNN, who you were just speaking about, who you would hope would just kind of deliver it straight and state the facts. And now they have this sort of both sidesism of fascism versus democracy. And they really don't prioritize democracy in their reporting. And I think a free press, I think you should be biased to cover democracy. I shouldn't think you should be biased to cover the truth. I think that should be your bias. I don't think your bias should be, let's try to find the both sides of everything here. Because what happens is, especially as that right wing gets farther and farther to the right, when you try to get in the middle of the right and the truth, inarguably, you're going to not be in the truth anymore. You're going to be away from the truth. And that middle gap all of a sudden, which maybe was once, you know, uh, much more in the center, is now way over to the right now because it's just gone so far to the right. And so to me, you know, it's, it's journalism 101 is really what I want to see. If somebody looks outside and says the sky is blue and somebody uh, says the sky is raining frogs that were sent by Jeffrey Epstein or something like, like I, there, there's a there's a yes, there, there's a yeah, truth your job there, right? is not to report both things. Your job yeah. is to look out the window and be like, here's the truth. That's your yeah. job. Exactly. Or or the middle, which I don't know what the middle of those two things are, but oh, yeah, maybe sky. it's raining a little bit of frogs <laughs> with a purple sky. Like, no, you I know, mean, it's like it's not. There is only truth or not truth, which I think is why it was smart of this administration to reach out to people like us who are still able to tell the truth, still able to tell real stories, still able to give facts. We might not have the same access, as you said, as legacy media, but that changes all the time. And this invitation to people like us, to the White House, was kind of what I see as the first step to that, you know, the the 24 hour news cycle really was the death of real journalism. It became Mm -hmm. entertainment because they had to fill all that time to keep eyeballs on the screen. And how do you keep eyeballs on the screen, right? You make people mad, you fire them up. And that's why we have four people all talking at the same time in their respective little boxes. It's why we give airtime to evil monsters like Stephen Miller or performative haters like Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's just the fastest, easiest way to keep people watching and those ad dollars flowing in. And anger sells, but it's deeply damaging to the nation. It's why I started what I do. I started this project as a reaction to no one in my life caring about politics. I saw that people had checked out from the news. It had become too much for them to take in. They no longer knew what was important or who to believe or if they should even care. And I wanted them to care because change only happens when people give a shit. 
right? And I knew that caring about something starts with knowing and understanding. And I'm pretty sure that's probably the same impetus that Alison Gill has at Daily Beans or V has it under the desk news or you guys have at Midas Touch or even someone like 19-year-old Khalil Green, the Gen Mm -hmm. Z historian who was in the room with us, have at the end of the day, right? We want people to know the truth. We want people to care. We want them informed because we know it could be better. And this all starts with people knowing the truth. Yeah, 24-hour news is, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's horrible because inevitably you have to fill time and inevitably you start getting into conversations. Wouldn't it be clever if Joe Biden invited Donald Trump to the Queen's funeral? <laughs> it's also why like, you can't no. come back from a commercial break without seeing the words breaking news coming on the TV. It's like they're just yeah. always trying to keep your attention with things that just just muddy the water. Like people want real news. And Lee, I think that that's why, in my opinion, that your show resonates with so many people and your show has been so amazing and the growth of it's been just incredible to watch. It's because people want an authentic voice, someone that they know is truly unapologetically pro-democracy at the end of the day. And the way you break down your pieces and, and, and deliver it and truly care at the end of the day, I think resonates with such a large amount of people in this country. And it's why people are leaving CNN in droves and coming to the more independent news networks, be it Midas Media Network, and then specifically the Politics Girl podcast. Well, you know, it's good. I think people really want to be smarter. I think they want to know what's going on. And I think it helps that people like us are able to pick and choose what we talk about and how often we do it, right? We aren't trying to feed the beast of some never-ending content for our billionaire owners, right? We're working on topics and issues that matter in a timeline that allows us to do good quality work. Like I only do this podcast once a week. So if you're giving me this hour, I'm sure as hell going to make sure it's worth your time. My job is not to fill 24 hours of you know, a day, seven days a week. My job is to do one hour well, to explain a complicated issue in a way people can understand. And it's what the mainstream media should be doing, but they rarely do anymore. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's the nature of the format. It's its kind of, you, you, it's really hard to do that format right. And I don't even know if it's totally possible because you have to do so much filler. And that's why so many people come to us and they say, oh, we need to see Midas Touch Network on cable news. When are you guys going to have a cable news channel? And at first we were kind of thinking about, is that what we're working towards? And as of late, we've kind of gotten together and said, I don't think that's the future. I mean, I think those networks are draining more and more viewers every single month at this point. Um, People are turning to alternative sources. And I think people just want to get the facts of the most important stories of the day, of the week, get a complete understanding of it, and then move on with their lives. I mean, there's so much information out there that people ultimately, they just want to see the information boil down in an easy to consume way, in a way that doesn't kind of both sides the issues, something, somebody that calls a fascist a fascist if they're being fascist, who's not afraid to use these sorts of words. And I think that's what we're bringing to them, kind of just raw, unfiltered truth. And it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's when you need to hear the news the most, we're going to bring you that action. I think actually what John Harwood said the day that he was apparently fired from CNN, I think it was pretty revealing into the insight of journalists and and what's going on at CNN a little bit because he came out and he he, he kind of equivocated a little bit in the beginning and, and he just wanted to kind of set the frame. He was like, listen, I know as journalists that we often don't want to use terms like fascism or autocracy because it makes us sound biased. But at this moment in time, we have to call this out as an autocratic movement because that's what it is. 
And then what, one hour, two hours later, we find out that John Harwood was no longer working for CNN. And to me, I look at that and I say, listen, this Republican Party that we're seeing right now, these MAGA Republicans who have taken over the Republican Party, this party of Donald Trump, there's not one conservative belief in that party at all. I mean, certainly no conservative belief that I could think of. I mean, it's just, it's fascism. And so at the end of the day, we need people who are able to use those kinds of words and call it what it is. Because in my opinion, if you're not, you're actually lying to your audience. You're not, you're not protecting them from anything. You're lying to them. And this is a moment where there's urgency, not just in the country, but in the world of these authoritarian movements. So we need people to sound the alarm on the threat and not be able, not be afraid to, to say it point blank. Yeah. You call a spade a spade and, mm-hmm. and, and do your, your listeners or your viewers a service because you're, you're doing them a disservice by not telling them yeah. the truth, even if it makes you sound alarmist. You know, it's the same stuff with the climate. We ignored it for so long because it sounded too much. And now we're like, oh, oh, shoot. Right? Like we're in a lot of trouble, which is why this bill we were talking about was so important. I thought it was really fascinating. There was, I was mentioning him before, the Gen Z historian, Khalil. He was Absolutely so eloquent. But he asked this question about why people like us, social media people, don't have access to the press briefing room mm-hmm. if we have these kind of um, reaches. And he was curious why we couldn't have the same information that, say, Steve Ducey's getting. And you could see the administration be like, oh, boy, you know, there's a lot of rules about who gets to go in and who doesn't get to go in. And they they knew that they were sounding like they were just kind of making up an excuse. But the truth is there are a lot of rules around the press briefing room and who gets to go in and who doesn't. It's just that when you see someone like Emerald, whatever her name was, or Steve Ducey there, you're like, why are these people here and we're not? But then Khalil asked, so why don't you make a new room? for social media people that comes directly out of the White House. Like, okay, we can't get in the old room because it comes with old rules, but why not make a new room? And you could see the staff thinking. The wheels turning a little bit. Yeah, like not pacifying the question, but thinking like, geez, is that possible? Like that might be a pretty good idea. And I thought it was that open-mindedness to new ideas, to the future of media and thinking outside the box from these career bureaucrats and administrators and their young staffers that felt kind of... I don't know, exciting to me, extraordinary, right? Like as if they were realizing in the moment that the old ways were no longer working and they were going to have to just be looking at totally new ways of disseminating information. Yeah. And I I feel like they are actually taking that suggestion to heart from Khalil. And I think it's an incredible idea because, you know, like we were saying earlier, one of the main differences between us, aside from billions and billions of, of dollars uh, between us and the uh, mainstream <laughs> aside media. From that, aside, <laughs> from, uh, aside from that. Aside from that. Aside from that, that uh, cash money, but, yeah. But beyond money, though, it's, it's the access, right? It, it's the ability to actually be, quote unquote, in the room where it happens. And That's the right. press every day is in the room where it happens. They're asking questions. A lot of them, frankly, are horrible. And, and a, a have, lot of them <laughs> are literally squandering their opportunity. I can't get yeah. over. I'm like, you have the access to the top people in the world. And you could say like, what are we doing about this? And where are we at with that? And like, how about this? And they aren't there. They're there for a burn Democrats Mm -hmm. soundbite moment, you know, this kind of thing. And I think, why, why are we doing this? Why are we keep, why do we keep this show up? Because it starts to feel like a show and it goes back to the 24 hour news and the entertainment and the soundbite thing, which is how I think a lot of Republicans now look at their press conferences. They're just trying to get on TV with yeah. the most obscene thing they can think of it to say. 
And you really get a sense. And I think one of the biggest differences between the questions that I heard in our digital briefing compared to the traditional press briefings is in the press briefings, everything is is framed in that horse race sort of mindset. It's, yeah. you know, it's Biden versus, you know, Trump or it's Democrats versus Republicans. And oh, but these poll numbers are slipping. What are you going to do about that? When in the briefing that we were in, it was so in the minutia and the weeds of the policy. How is this going to help people? How are we going to make sure that there's no fraud here? You know, it, it, everybody's questions were actually had meaning behind them. And the answers actually had an impact on people's lives beyond this sort of wrestling match. And I thought that's what was really kind of unique about the questions that were being asked in the briefing room. Yeah. And I'd like to see more of those questions so more people mm-hmm. could could have been a part of that. I mean, look, I have been critical of the Democrats in the past. I will be again. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I think people trust me because I'm right. honest and I'm mouthy and I call a spade a spade. <laughs> um, but the truth is, those people we met in that room were the real deal, right? I'm not, I did not drink the Kool-Aid. Um, They really believe what they're saying. His staff believe in what they're doing. They're all just putting their heads down and doing the work. You know, chaos and dysfunction is literally raining down around them and they are all doing the work. Like you said, the minutia of policy. Um, Later, when we heard Biden do his speech, he said, although we're in tough times, he's never been more hopeful for America. And I think he really believes that. That's not a line. He and his staff really believe things can get better and change. And we have the opportunity, as I always say, to become the country we tell people we are. And he knows that it sounds Pollyanna when he says it. And he says it without shame or guile. And I think that's essential because the alternative now, as you said, is straight up fascism, like this Christian theocratic nightmare with corrupt judges who don't care about the law and lawmakers who don't care about the people, where the Bible and its perceived rules create a world where straight white cis men are in charge and rule over us. And human rights are just a thing of the past. This is literally what we are talking about, where women, immigrants, asylum seekers, children, workers, even fertilized cells are pawns in this kind of endless quest for power. And I think we have to really know that Biden is the real deal and the alternative is intolerable. We talk about this as brothers all the time. We don't elect leaders because we don't think problems are going to arise in this country. We elect leaders because we inevitably know problems will arise. But we want that leader to then be able to understand what's happening, distill it, and help as many Americans as as possible at the end of the day to do what they can and use their power and influence to push bills and legislation forward that's going to help as many people as possible. That's going to give people more rights, not take it away like these ultra-maga Republicans want to do. Yeah, it's funny because I think we've had two glaring examples of that, Jordy, in, in recent weeks. And I think one was right here in our backyard in California um, when there was the heat wave in California. Right. And you saw what do these right wingers do? They were rooting for the grid to fail. I mean, they were like, you had Governor Gavin Newsom yeah. step up, though, and say, listen, yeah. We're going to take proactive measures here. Between these hours, we're asking, could you please just ease off on your power a little bit? Maybe turn the thermostat up a little bit. Help us ease this burden. Sending out text messages at times when the power was peaking. And I saw on my Twitter feed and I saw pundits on on the far right going, I'm going to use my power even more because Newsom said that. Just trying to, you know, own the libs and I guess own yourself at the end of the day if the power goes out. I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. But at the end of the day, a problem arose. 
Gavin Newsom stepped up to the plate and what happened? Nobody lost power. Everything continued. The grid stands. It was record heat. Like, and I mean like 120 degree heat for like two weeks straight, like something just totally unnatural. It also speaks to the climate issue that we're experiencing in the country. Um, but we had a leader who rose to the moment and he did something about it. And the same thing happened recently with President Biden and this labor dispute with the rail workers. You know, a problem was arising. What were Republicans doing? At first, their plan was, well, let's just try to give everything to the to the business. Let's try to give everything to the, the to the owners of the business, right? Not to the workers. And then Biden stepped up. They sided with labor and they got a deal passed, at least tentatively, to help avoid strikes and to make the trains run on time. And it's that sort of leadership that we need. We don't need people who go, oh, there's never going to be an issue in this world. We need problems to be solved and we need the problem solvers to be in the right positions to solve those issues. And as President Biden has said, I mean, I've heard him say that line in you know, many a speech that he's never been more optimistic about the country. And to be candid, I'm not sure I've always believed it because we constantly see these threats coming from the far right of these people who are trying to take away our freedoms, trying to take away our democracy. But after that day in the White House, after listening to those administration officials, after listening to President Biden's speech on the South Lawn of the White House, I left there actually believing that and thinking, you know what, I too am optimistic because we have some of the brightest minds on the planet in that office who are working for us every single day. And do they get everything right? Absolutely not. Are they at least trying though to push the ball forward and doing it out of really the goodness of their hearts and not for power's sake? Yes, I believe so. That is completely what I felt in that room. And I do agree now for sure with President Biden when he says that he's optimistic about about the future of this country. Yeah, I agree with them too. I just hope that this incredibly hopeful leader understands that he's going to have to be ruthless with these cheating, lying fascists. Mm -hmm. Because if they get power, they're never giving it back. And I think hope is absolutely essential. And I believe he believes it. And I believed it being there with him. But righteous anger is also essential. And fighting fire with fire is essential. And I believe this administration is working their hearts out with all the right intentions. I just... I want to encourage them to bring that same passion for policy and for um, working together and for the American people to create a battle plan to fight back. Because Biden clearly believes that leadership is service. He sees those two things together. It's not about himself. He clearly prioritizes people over power. But in order to continue his good work, he's going to have to keep power. And I think it's essential that They make a plan and we help them do that. Agreed 100%. And I think, you know, I think that's one of the important things that we've seen over these past, whether it's a few weeks or or a few months with President Biden and the administration now coming out swinging and actually being on the offensive. I think that's been a big shift. And I think that's also been responsible for the big rise in President Biden's poll numbers over these past few weeks. I mean, of course, it's also backed up by getting the work done. And maybe they had to wait till they started stacking up some W's on the board before they were really able to do this. But now you see President Biden like in that primetime speech calling this MAGA movement out for what it is. He's not afraid to do it. They're taking the fight to him. You saw that hilarious tweet the other day uh, where after our uh, a- after the ceremony to celebrate the Inflation Reduction Act, during the ceremony, President Biden had called out Rick Scott 
for his policy of wanting to basically sunset Social Security and Medicare every few years. And he said, it's it's in the plan and believe it. Trust me. You don't have to believe me. I wish I had a million copies of the plan to hand it out right here to everybody in the audience. It's in the plan. And then Rick Scott tried to troll him on Twitter later that day and say, you know, he showed a picture of himself near the White House saying, I got the plan for you. Excited to share it with your people. Mm-hmm. And President Biden's response on Twitter was like, thank Rick. Thanks, Rick. Everybody could see it at and gave the link to the www. And and it's that kind of thing that really exposes these people for for who they are, for what they are, exposes their policies. And I mean, just think about that daily. I mean, while we were there speaking about solving our climate crisis, while we were there speaking about lowering the cost of insulin for seniors, lowering prescription drug prices, allowing Medicare to negotiate on drug prices, while we were there speaking about all this positivity for the American people, you had Lindsey Graham across the way, pitching a federal abortion ban. You have Republicans across the country itching to strip away all of our rights. And they have said they're not going to vote for a same-sex marriage law. They're not going to vote for a contraception law, an interracial marriage law. Those are the rights that they are coming at next. So yes, it is incredibly important that we have President Biden and all these people in the administration and everybody, by the way, the most important people are the people listening to this very podcast. You at home, we need you to be engaged and we need you to understand the stakes at what's going on. Because I think now everybody is starting to see it, how actually crazy and dangerous these people were. A few months ago, I don't think people were really seeing it because it wasn't as in their face. The election was a little more distant. There was less that they could do about it. But now's the moment that we could really secure our democracy. And I think if I have a minute, I could share a kind of brief conversation I had with actually Vice President Kamala Harris on the White House lawn, um, which I yeah, thought was- Yeah, she talked to you guys for such a long time. It was such a lovely conversation. I watched it. Yeah, so you you were there. So you saw how kind of in-depth she it got. It was. It was so nice. She was really engaged. Yeah, she's she's just a spitfire, man. I got to tell you. Hot take <laughs> from the sidelines. She is a absolute dream. She's so adorable. She's so passionate. And you don't often get to see that part of her, but she is absolutely in it to win it. That She's a wonderful leader. Just so, so brilliant, so sharp, so in the weeds like everybody else in the administration, just very attuned to the details, um, which I found just so incredibly impressive, her grasp on just like everything that was thrown at her. But one of the things that aside from being in the weeds of policy that I found so effective about her was that she often put the question on to you. You know, her question for us was, well, what are your followers caring about? What's resonating with them right now? And what could we do as an administration to make sure that their needs are being met? And so it was very often not about herself, but about how could I be helping you? And so we had a great conversation about that. And part of the discussion that I had with her was that I I said, you know what, in these past few months, I think you, President Biden, the administration as a whole has really stepped up in going on the offensive here. And I think that's important because I said, I'm not going to lie to you. Americans are, are scared. You guys are accomplishing a lot of great things. But the people that I speak with are terrified on a daily basis. They see the threats of these, you know, just psychotic, far right, dark, dark, dark forces that are out there. That yeah, are trying these to are take bad the people. Country. They're bad, bad people. Bad, bad people. And so when they see you out there calling it out, when they see you out there fighting with it, fighting them with the gravity of the situation that it deserves, 
then they know, listen, I have an advocate for me in the White House. And you could be passing all the legislation you want, but if they don't see you out there actually taking the fight, taking the offensive, not just getting rolled over by the lies and the disinformation and the hate and the darkness, that's probably the most important thing that's resonating with the people that I'm seeing, that they see, finally, you know, we have fighters out there who are working for us. So I just encouraged her, you know, let's do more of that. You know, let's, let's, <laughs> let's stay on offense because you've seen this messaging shift. And I think that it's, it's really important. And people are discouraged, I think, by the darkness. And they finally are seeing that sort of light at the end of the tunnel. But we have a long way ahead of us. So we all just need to keep pushing forward. And we really need to rid ourselves of this, just this, this darkness in our country. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean... It is a terrifying time and also a time where I think we've never been so close to having what we always thought we could have. And I think it's just essential that we support the people that are in power and keep these people in power, not just because the Republicans have lost their fucking minds, but because these people have plans to fix the country, bold, transformative plans that they are implementing and given enough time could potentially fix and and change the transition of where our world is going, where our country is going. And there is absolutely no comparison between the two parties. And everybody should be working overtime to deliver the Democrats a gigantic win so they can, can continue on this course that they've set. We're on a precipice right now, right? And we could either fall off that cliff and go fall into that darkness, or we could remain on the side of democracy thrive and be the country that we want to be that we are fighting for you know all of the, all of our values everything we stand for and i don't know about you lee but when i was there when i was in the white house when we were with president biden vice president kamala harris all those dark forces had never felt so small to me so insignificant and i don't want to reduce the threat of them by any means i don't intend to do that at all but they just felt like very small people while we had these intellectual giants in the room with us who really cared about people and wanted to push things forward. Well, that's a pretty great last thought. I want to thank you guys for joining me so much today and for being fellow patriots in this battle uh, for the future of the country that we all love so much. I wish you great luck and much success in your media empire. And just promise me you'll never make it 24 hours a day. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we 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 we, we, pr we promise you that, and just want to again, you know, thank thank you and and Sean for all your friendship over these these past few years. I mean, it's really just such a joy to work with you, and you know, when I speak about intellectual giants, you are certainly included in there. I am just Im so impressed by the work that you put out every single day, the Politics Girl podcast, which I know I'm biased, it's on the Midas Touch Media Network, but <laughs> it really is the most well researched, one of the most brilliant podcasts out there to really inform people. And you're making just such a huge difference. And I hope you know that. Oh, thank you so much. I love this country and I believe in it. I chose to live here. I chose to be a citizen and I will do everything I can to make sure that the country I brought my son into is the country it promises to be. Same here, except I've been living here my whole life. But aside, <laughs> aside from that, I, 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 I'm I'll, I'll leave you with this one. I really loved what Biden had said uh, at the end of his speech when we were there. Uh, he said something to the effect of, don't just keep the faith, spread it. And Lee, you've definitely spread it. So thank you so much for everything. Oh, thank you, guys. So that was Brett and Jordy Micellis, two of the three co-founders of the Midas Media Network, reminding us not just to keep the faith, but to spread it. We can't just believe in America, we have to fight for it. We have to support democracy and the party protecting it because the Democrats, they have this. 
We just need to give them enough power to keep delivering. The alternative is intolerable. I would like to thank Brett and Jordy for joining me today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.